strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Wait for it. All right. I just want to listen to the music. Um, Happy Thursday. We got one hour left of the show. Did you hear this coming up at 1120? Education, a frequent topic on the school, but according to a national report card, uh, this is the NAEP, which is the National Assessment of Educational Progress, says in their national report card that Catholic schools, parochial schools, are actually faring better when it comes to educating children than the public schools or their private counterparts that are non-parochial. And I don't know if that's going to be a national trend, but we will say that we do understand there's a reason why people send their children to that when they can afford to to private schools. The the belief that it's a better education, it gives their children a better chance at a quality education. So in America, one of the things that we discuss is how do we make sure that all children have access to a quality education is what we talk about in Arizona all the time. One of the reasons why I'm an advocate for the expansion of the ESA program is because um, we should give young children in working class neighborhoods that excel academically that are looking to go to a prep school like a Brophy or a Seton Catholic or to any of these other private schools, Scottsdale Christian, it doesn't matter, that they should have an opportunity to go. And the tax dollars that are assigned to them by virtue of the parents that pay taxes, when you pay property taxes, even if you're a renter, you know, the property taxes are factored into those fees. And... um You just have to be able to send those children to the school of their choice, offsetting that tuition or a big chunk of that tuition and doing it that way. um, It is a big sacrifice for families that make it. And my, you know, I've told the story of my brother going to a private school and giving it the opportunity. It's the first one of us that graduated from college. He not only graduated from college, he graduated with honors from college. That is a big deal in my family to have someone that's graduated from college. The advent of the CTEDs, or I should say the expansion of the CTEDs. CTEDs and new attention, which are the career technical education districts with Yevit and West Mac in the West Valley, the expansion of those programs and um, a dual a, a dual approach, which has not been a very honest. There has been availability, but there has not been counseling toward what we have done classically is tell kids go to college. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's a terrific thing. I'm not trying to denigrate a college education for so many people that is going to get them the life that they want. But I was the exception to that rule. I was smart enough to do the work. I was uh, I was well-educated as a young person. I can read. I can perform math skills. I was just a terrible student when I was in high school. I did the wrong thing. I wanted to grow up. I didn't want the high school experience. Never mind the college experience. I didn't want to go to school anymore. I wanted to go to work. Fortunate for me, fortunately for me, I found a trade after high school. But I'm looking at young people now who are in that situation, whether it's a situation of economics at home where the family doesn't have a lot of money and the kids need to work to not even not necessarily supplement the household income. But if they want to do things, which is what it was for me, if I wanted to go out on the weekends, if I wanted to buy clothes, if I wanted to do things, I had to finance that myself because my mother had three kids to support. And I was one, you know, I was the only one old enough to work. I was I was 12 when I got my first job. So I'm not recommending that to anybody. But at 15, I was working almost full time. I lied about my age to work legitimately. So I was working illegitimately, but I lied about my age. I said I was 16 when I was only 15 to get a job in a restaurant because I wanted to grow up and work. I don't recommend it. 
I'm not asking for credit for it. That's what I did. If, if I was at 15 years old introduced to a CTED, if I were introduced at 15 years old to a program where they say, f- figure out what you want to do. You want to be an auto mechanic, a diesel mechanic, auto body, culinary arts. I probably back then would have chosen culinary arts because I was working in restaurants. But the idea that I would go to high school. And then for a couple of hours each day, I was going to this school that taught me to be a chef, that gave me the basic knife skills and and to work in a commercial kitchen. And it's different when you're cooking in bulk in different situations. But to teach me while I'm going to school, while I'm working, I would have likely have been a very good high school student. Instead of wanting to get out of school to work, I would have done both. I was that kid. And I see so many of them. And our school counselors, I believe in Arizona and probably across the country, but specifically in Arizona in the public school system, when you have a career counselor, what do they focus on? 95% of the focus is on, are you going to apply for Pell Grants? Are you going to apply for scholarships? How are you going to apply for college? Sit down and fill out these papers. Fill this out. Get this submitted now. Get the ball rolling on college. That's as far as they go in counseling. Instead of the two-pronged approach where you first assess, is this child, does this child want to go to college or would they rather get trained for a skill? And then show them the benefits of, hey, you're going to go to school and you're going to learn a trade. What trade do you like? What they do, what they used to, I don't know if they still do it. When you were going to join the military, you took a test called the ASVAB test, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. You took that test and based on the scores of that test, you sat down with a military recruiter that said, here are the areas that are, according to this test, that you are most skilled at, that you are the best at. And you look at that and you think, I had no idea that that would fit me. But that sounds fun. I'd like to do that. And they actually help you pick a direction. And we all know in the military, people cross train and they do different jobs. But you train for a job based on your skill set with someone that's counseling you that this is in your best interest because this is what you're good at. Why aren't we doing that in the public school system? A welder, and they're making a hundred grand a year. Well, journeyman electricians are making $70,000 a year right now with benefit packages and job security. It's almost $70,000 a year in the other trades, being an air conditioning technician. But there is coding and there's a nursing school and there's being a paramedic or at least being an EMT you can get. Um, if you were going to school, I have um, very, very close people in my family that are, um, that are uh, cosmetologists. And they've started at a young age and one of them started working in a hair salon and she started working as a receptionist and then sweeping up the hair from the haircuts. She now owns her own salon in Southwest Florida. The idea that we are going to pigeonhole people is the wrong approach to education. And how do we get the public school system to do the same thing that charter schools and private schools are doing? If we don't break the mold, if we don't change how we think and what we think, we are going to be in big trouble. We want a better educated, well-rounded society. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Some people need the discipline of the military. Some people need to go and exercise their minds and go into college. That doesn't mean you're not going to all end up successful or unsuccessful. We take different career paths. Why do we pigeonhole kids in the high school level? Why are we not getting them at a younger age, at 15? 
16 to start thinking about what direction they would want to go as opposed to 18. When you go to college, you don't declare a major until your first two years are over. You take all your basic courses and then you declare a major and you start working toward that degree. Why aren't we doing that in high school? Why aren't we looking at a kid that is out there that's now a sophomore in high school and say, all right, do you want to start going toward a career or do you want to start going toward a college degree? And let's adjust your schedule to make sure you're on the path. You can always change it like you can change your major. But what direction do you think you want to start heading? How is that not an important part of our education system? If you look, it's pretty monolithic. It is pretty myopic. There is one direction when it comes to counselors in the public school, and it directs students directly into college. And there are some kids that flounder and fail in college that would be dramatically more successful if they were sent in a different direction of a skill. And I think that's got to be a big part of the changes that we make here in Arizona. School choice and then giving kids options to show them that there are different pathways to success. I think that would work remarkably. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. We call it Did You Hear This? Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's catch up on all the big headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Gross domestic product rose by 2.6% during the third quarter and reflects increases in consumer spending and exports. But is this good news? After two quarters of declines in the GDP, analysts are more than a little suspicious about such a dramatic increase. They fear that the latest number is less of a trend and more of a one-off. How do you view this GDP increase? I don't know. Listen, I hope it's a sign of things to come. I hope we're going to roll into the holidays and see a recovery and the retail world is going to breathe a sigh of relief and we're going to get back on track and inflation is going to drop. I really want all of that for this country. But I look to the experts. I look at Wall Street. And the reason why I look at Wall Street is they are apolitical. They make money in political, in good political climates and bad, Republican, Democrat. And what they report on and how they maneuver is based on what they see that's going to happen. And when, when you hear people saying the word recession, that there's no doubt in their mind we're headed toward a recession, that's what worries me. And I listen to that because it's not political. It is factual. It's, well, I shouldn't say factual. It's opinion. But it certainly is an educated opinion. A second railroad workers union has rejected a labor deal and the impacts of a railroad strike would be massive. By some estimates, a railroad strike could cost the economy $2 billion per day. That's because nearly a third of all U.S. exports still move by freight train. What will it take to ensure this strike does not happen? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. But this is the one thing in the economy that the experts that I talk to is the scariest thing that's looming. We are teetering on the brink of a recession. Just how deep that recession will be remains to be seen. If you factor into this not being able to move goods across the country and around the country and people, because people also travel on rail, we are talking about billions of dollars per day in an economy that we can not afford to lose. That would not just only be disastrous for trying to get goods around the country that we want to buy and need, but imagine the jobs that would be lost because those goods are not being shipped. That, to me, is going to be a huge story if it happens. 
you are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. A federal judge could rule tomorrow on a lawsuit filed by the Arizona Alliance for Retired Americans and Voto Latino that Clean Elections USA has incited voter intimidation in Arizona and across the country. One side saying that people have a right to vote without feeling intimidated. The other side saying that people have a right to assemble outside of that 75-foot boundary of the ballot boxes. What do you think the judge will say in his ruling? I, I don't know. I, I would guess that if you're staying, if these are people that are staying outside of that 75 feet, there's nothing you can do, nor is there anything you should do. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I wouldn't be doing it. But that doesn't mean other people don't have that right. We are fighting about the rights for people to photograph and videotape police officers doing their job within eight feet. Eight feet. This is 75 feet away. I think the behavior is horrible. I think tactical gear is horrible. I think it needs to stop. But is it illegal? There is a difference between what you should do and what you can do. And I don't know if the judge is going to be between a rock and a hard place and 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 end up saying that I um, denounce the behavior, but we can't do anything about it legally. And that might be where they land. A new study by Populous Insights says most Americans are hiding their true beliefs. In public, they're appearing to be more extreme than their privately held views. And the reason why is a pressure to fit into popular culture and their party's own platforms. How do we promote civil conversations in today's contentious climate? I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask because I waded into this myself when I came out as a Republican and said I don't believe the 2020 election is stolen. And I don't think that the Arizona audit was run properly, that we hired a company to do it that was way too one-sided. It was a jaded, one-sided, partisan look at an election when you're out there looking for um, under black lights and bamboo in the paper and you're doing the things that happened. It didn't look legitimate to me. And I, you know, again, you speak out against your own party in a way and there's going to be a backlash. And I understood that it was coming. Um, One of the things that I try to do to foster a respectful conversation is I try to be respectful in my disagreement. I never went after the people in the audit and questioned their character. I never have. And I never will. What I said was, I disagree with you. And if you can say I disagree with you without being disagreeable, that's only half the equation. But that's where it's got to start with your half of the equation. Yeah, it's interesting because I love social media and people ask me why, because it's so mean on Twitter. I mean, it is really. They are just vile people on Twitter. And I don't think they're vile people. I think they're good people. I I equate it to road rage. I have road rage. I've calmed down quite a bit, but I have road rage. I just do. You listen to me on the air. I'm pretty reasonable. I'm easy to get along with. I can give a joke. I can take a joke. Everything's fine. Behind the wheel of a car, mm-mm. I, I have road rage. I just do. And I think that's what happened. I think there's a real thing called Twitter rage that people that are otherwise normal, kind, nice, loving people get on Twitter and they've got no problem saying the most horrible things about people that they've never even met. I don't know if that's a real syndrome, but that's what I see on social media. As much as I love it, that's where we live right now. So you can't take it seriously. Even when it's said about you, you have to realize they don't know who you are and take it with a grain of salt. And hopefully, Hopefully, at some point, we're going to grow up a little bit and realize this isn't life or death. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to talk about the ballot drop boxes, but also another element of this now. Letters from an organization making threats against people about ballot integrity. We'll talk about it next. (laughs) 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, happy Thursday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Uh, I'm going to start a different direction here, talking about ballot box washers and concerns. Um, Nothing is perfect, and at a time when tensions are high... Things matter. 6,000 ballots went out that were wrong here in Arizona. Not a good time for that in Arizona. Pennsylvania, which people are saying that race between Dr. Oz and Fetterman um, is going to come down to the wire and the balance of the Senate could go either way right now. And nobody knows quite – no one is quite sure which way, not just Pennsylvania, but all of these very close races are going to go. I say that because after sending out 240,000 unverified ballots, Pennsylvania now warns of delays in counting midterm votes. Not good. Uh, What Pinal County did in the primary, how they handled their primary was abysmal at a time when election integrity and questions about our elections are at an all-time high. People in charge of elections need to do a much better job. Now, that being said, that acknowledgement in-house should be in every corner of Arizona. Um, I've defended Stephen Richer's character uh, often. Um, Stephen Richer is the county recorder of Maricopa County. Uh, he is the Republican who was elected in 2020 to take over the office. He did not run the 2020 election. He was elected in 2020 and took over in January of 2021. But then he also was someone that says, hey, listen, we looked at all this election integrity stuff and everything I can see in Maricopa County, it was done the right way. We didn't connect the machines to the Internet. The machines didn't change votes. I didn't see any wrongdoing. And he got crushed for it, his character. It's one thing to call someone wrong, but when you go to the extreme and you start calling them in on it, the word treason gets thrown around. Bill Gates, um, Clint Hickman, other members of the Board of Supervisors would all have to be in on this conspiracy in Maricopa County. The sheriff of Maricopa County, a Democrat, along with the county attorney who was at the time a Republican, well, is now still to it, but it's a different person, um, the interim county attorney is. A Republican would have to be in on this because they were a part of this. Everybody on the Board of Supervisors and the county recorder would all have to be in on the cover-up if there was one. And we've gotten to a point now where so many people are up in arms about this. I mean literally over this. We have forgotten what the goal is. I used a story yesterday of George Washington and and how the mission has to be bigger than the man. I've talked about Martin Luther King Jr. When you read about Martin Luther King Jr., Junior, um, you know, and and uh, the mountaintop speech that he gave right before he was killed, um, saying, "And I, I have, uh, I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land." And there's this line in there that lived forever because it was such a sign of things to come. Where he said, "I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land." And then he was murdered for his beliefs. He was murdered for the civil rights movement. But the history has been so kind to Martin Luther King Jr. and to people like Medgar Evers and other civil rights activists because they truly were people that showed that the the cause was bigger than the person. That it wasn't the fact that they were murdered because of what they believed. It was because of the way they did things because of what they believed. And the compelling argument that MLK Jr. made to the American public, especially to other pastors in the South that were white, that they should be 
joining him as a Christian duty and not just about about race, but people shouldn't be treated this way. I, I bring these things up because we have gotten so far beyond that with so many. That activism is a good thing. Even if I disagree with you, activism is a good thing. I've had people from Black Lives Matter on the show. I didn't agree with any of the principles of Black Lives Matter, believing that policing needed dramatic changes, that policing in our society was a bad thing and being handled the wrong way by the majority. I didn't believe that to be true, but I appreciate anybody that just civilly stands up and says, this is my position, and I want you to hear my story, and we want things to change. And we've lost that in this with this election stuff. We've lost it. There are people, and now unless they're posers, you know. And again, I can't discount that because I don't know who these people are. They're all anonymous. This organization that calls themselves Ben sent us, as in Benjamin Franklin, that's sending out ominous, threatening letters to Democrat workers and poll workers and all these other people that we're watching you. Um, let me let me get to a little bit of what they had to say. Um, election fraud will not be tolerated. All video and pictures of possible ballot voting and drop box fraud will be posted on the Internet, along with pictures of the district attorney, sheriffs and others that do not pursue investigations and charges on those committing election fraud. Copies of all evidence will be turned over to the local sheriff. Um, and they go on to talk about people. And, and I mean, actual in my opinion, this is true threats and um Every judge refusing to sentence, and the word sentence is spelled wrong, shocking, I know, um, election fraud to the full extent of the law would be considered a traitor and dealt with accordingly, as will you. So um, there is no civility in that. There is no justice in that. There is – we are going to say if we deem, if we as an organization say we think something might be wrong here and we want you to investigate – and you don't investigate, we're going to take the law into our own hands. That's what this letter says. At, at some point, and the reason why I defend people that are questioning election integrity is because I know many of them, that they are not unreasonable people. You can have a reasonable conversation with somebody that believes that there was, uh, there was shenanigans that went on in the 2020 election. You don't have to agree with them. I don't. You know how many times I get reached out to by people on my side of the aisle saying, do you really not believe that 2020 was stolen or compromised? And I say, no, I don't. And then the whole FBI thing and the Hunter Biden laptop. And I said, well, that's different. If the media decides to push down a story, well, the FBI made them do it. And, and, and that's where the conversation goes. But for me, was there cheating? Were there 2,000 mules out there Stuffing ballot boxes. We've got videotape now and people sitting outside and watching ballot boxes to ensure the election is fair. What's interesting about this is fair means you win. That's my problem. I, I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to bring a candidate into this because I heard a candidate say something that I appreciated um, when I interviewed Carrie Lake. I asked her about election integrity at the very beginning of the interview, and I hope you'll go and watch it on YouTube. And we started off and had a pretty lengthy conversation about her stance on election integrity in the 2020 election, but not of the 2022 election. I stayed away from 2020. I wanted to look forward. And I asked her at the end of that interview, how can you be sure that you won the election? If you're declared the winner, if you don't believe elections are fair in Arizona, how can you or anybody else believe that you won, that you legitimately won? And at the end of her answer, she said, listen, if at the end of this I'm declared the winner and somebody out there doesn't believe it and they want to do a hand count, 
I'm in favor of it. I want more transparency and not less. That answer to me resonated because I thought, okay, that means you want everybody to believe in it whether you win or you don't, as opposed to if I win, it was fair. If I don't win, it wasn't. And that's what we have to get away from. It doesn't mean, you know, when those calls come in and instant replay is used in the NFL and you're a team that hopes it's a fumble, you're doing your best to try to see that ball out before the knee touches the ground. Sometimes it just isn't. We have got to get back to the civil disagreement. I understand passion, but oh my gosh, you're going to send out threatening letters? You're going to take the law into your own hands? It's, hor- it's a horrible way to behave. It is a terrible way to be. You're not a patriot. You are not a patriot. You're a criminal. I just hope people change their attitudes. I really do. I hope they change their minds, and I hope they change their behavior. Keep the passion, but lose lose the behavior. All right, we got one more segment of the show, just a couple of minutes before we close it out, so please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. There was a time when President Bush, Bush 41, George H.W. Bush, talked about a kinder, gentler America. And uh, uh, it was it was it was well received by some. It was mocked by others. Um, there is a difference. I am someone if anybody knows me, I'm pretty high strung, uh, very opinionated, high strung, thousand miles an hour. I talk fast. I move fast. And I, that's just my personality. And you know exactly where I stand on an issue. I don't shy away from my opinions. But as I've gotten older, I've also tried to listen to other people. I learn a lot from the people I disagree with. And I mean disagree with passionately. Uh, I am very, very pro-life, but I listen to people that are pro-choice. And I listen to what they have to say and why they say that. It makes me better at my argument. It makes me better in my disagreement. It, it helps me craft the message I'm going to rebut with. And I think when we truly listen to each other and we think they come from a good place, If you are someone, because I'm going to use this issue because you're so, uh, this is such a passionate issue. If you are pro-life and you assume that any woman that has an abortion or the majority, the vast majority are being cavalier and they don't care and it's a matter of convenience and birth control, I, I think we're wrong when we say that, that this is an emotional, difficult decision for so many women. Does that mean that there aren't some out there that do that? Of course there are. Those are the extremes. Just like on the pro-life side of things, there are extreme people that are that have attacked abortion clinics, have gone after and threatened abortion doctors that have stood outside abortion clinics and said horrible things to young women that are having abortion procedures done. And I don't I don't agree with that either. So if you assume that that's what the other side looks like, it makes it easier for you to marginalize them. When I see leaders and pundits, when Hillary Clinton does her election denial and people are defending it on social media, Hillary Clinton talks about the right wing, radical run Supreme Court and all of this other stuff. It's that's marginalizing. It's so funny because if let's say if and I don't know which one of them, let's say Clarence Thomas, if they use Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court as the example of right wing radicalism, what was RBG? 
what was Ruth Bader Ginsburg? She was as liberal as they come and vocal about it. They love her. Musicals and documentaries and T-shirts and bumper stickers because of how radically left she was on that court. Instead of saying, you're not impartial. We're yelling at the right about being not being impartial. You're not impartial. You understand that there's two sides of every coin. The old saying is there's a it's a pretty thin slice of ham that doesn't have two sides. And we have gotten away from the we have gotten away from the assumption that somebody else's disagreement comes from a good place. We we automatically marginalize and call them either stupid, uninformed, evil, or all of the above. So you believe that the 2020 election was stolen. You're one of those January 6thers. You want to tear down the country. You're trying to take away our freedoms, and democracy is in danger. Okay. Hillary Clinton said the same thing about 2024. Is she a threat to democracy? No, what she's saying is reasonable. She's saying it differently. She's saying that this so – now you've got an exp- explanation. She's not sounding radical. When she said in 2000 that George Bush was appointed by the Supreme Court, not elected because his brother was the governor of, of Florida when the hanging chads thing happened. So she said he was an illegitimate president without using that phrase. She actually used the phrase in 2016 saying Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. She is exactly what the other side of that coin is, an election denier. In one way, when you talk about anybody who believes 2020 was stolen, they're evil, they're dangerous, and they're a threat to our democracy. Hillary Clinton's been saying it for over 20 years with different elections. Well, it's different because she's not she's not motivating people to violence. She's not. Oh, OK. Um, I had I had a conversation with someone today online about some things and we were talking about how violent the right has become. I said, have you ever heard of Antifa? Anybody ever seen the crime that was committed during the Occupy Wall Street movement? I mean, there is plenty of violence and crazy on both sides of the political idea, ideology or in the spectrum of political ideology. We have to acknowledge it on our side and stop it. I have to be more vocal against the people on my side and say, knock it off. Take the tactical gear off. Stop sending threatening letters. And people on the left have to say, knock it off on their side as well. I think that's the way we get back to civility. All right, we're just about out of time. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at about 8 a.m. If you're a social media user, you can find me at Broomhead KTAR. That's my personal Twitter account. At Broomhead Show is run by somebody else, and that just updates you on things happening on the show. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. That's where you can find me there as well. And I, I think it's a great way to keep in touch. Back tomorrow morning just after 8. Until then, have a great day. God bless. God bless.